Because we're moving from the shack to the boathouse, this is MuggleCast, episode 219, for January the 23rd, 2011. This week's episode of MuggleCast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash MuggleCast. And by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off your new account, Go to squarespace.com and use the code MUGGLE. Welcome to MuggleCast episode 219. Andrew, Micah, Eric here this week to give you the lowdown on what's going on in the Harry Potter world. Slow news, but big chapter by chapter segment to get through this week. And we're going to do it as professionally and as... Accurately? Entertaining, accurately... And inspirationally as possible as you've come to expect it from us. I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Eric Skull. And I'm Micah Tannenbaum. Micah Tannenbaum, what is in the news? Come on, don't hold out any longer. <laughs> I gotta know. You said it was a slow uh, news period, and you're right. But the good thing is the news we have gotten is big news. Uh, we got our first still from Deathly Hallows Part 2. And you know how big I am on pictures. <laughs> yes. The first, so, you should have said, Micah, you should have said the first of like 15,000 pictures, right? Yeah, given that this is the last film, there probably will be at least that many, Eric, I'm thinking. Yeah. Well, I actually got kind of sad when I posted it because I was like, oh, this is one of the last firsts. You know, first picture. We, we have a first picture. We have a first trailer. We have a first TV spot. These are all big, big stories. However, it's not technically the first picture because I, I put first picture in the headline because it creates more buzz. <laughs> but the, the big first picture will be the first official still released by Warner Brothers in high resolution. Okay, so this say, was not that, right? Th- well, I was going to say the first one that you don't have to take down at the request of Warner Brothers. Exactly. <laughs> this this one that you are talking about, we had to take down at the request of, as was predicted, by the way, it was a black and white photo with a property of WB watermark in three places. I think they the released photo. those on purpose, though. <laughs> Maybe. We still don't know wh- what the source was. But. So you didn't stick up to, to Warner Brothers and say, like, well, if you want us to take this down, you got to give us a high-res version of it? You didn't say that? No, I think they weren't ready. But I did say to them, I'll take it down, but you do know it's on every other movie website right now, right? <laughs> <laughs> and the WB rep was like, welcome to my morning. No thanks to us. Yeah, no thanks to us. We were kind of first with it. But anyway, it's a picture of Neville in the foreground, and you see Bellatrix in the background. And um, it's a cool photo. I mean, it's low res, but it's an exciting photo. It's from the battle, which apparently is going to take up about 45 minutes to an hour of the film. So I I would guess the majority of the photos may be coming from the battle. We're keeping with the uh, Deathly Hallows theme here, but we're going to go to part one for just a minute. And uh, we talked about it on the last show. It's slowly climbing up the charts. And Andrew, I know you mentioned how much I like to post uh, about... Numbers. Numbers, yeah, exactly. And uh, so finally, uh, it has moved past both Order of the Phoenix and Half-Blood Prince. It's currently number 10 all-time 
in a worldwide box office gross. And it only has, if it's going to make it there, Sorcerer's Stone to pass. I don't think it's going to happen, though. That's really cool. I mean, and WB is kind of used to it now. But for any film to reach the top 10 grossing films of all time, I mean, that's an amazing What, what does, an amazing what does that mean for, for, for fans? What Does it mean that... It means nothing for us. People are still, people are still going to see it though in, in other countries and, and all across the world. People are saying, Hey, you should go see this movie. Or is it that did Deathly Hallows part one have really late release dates in some countries? And that's why it continues to climb. That could be it. And you know, I think winter break helps a lot. A lot of people are off over the winter break. So they may want to go see the movie again. You know, and, and yeah, I think you're right. Those international release dates that were later than the November date that we saw in the U.S. and in the U.K., as well as a few other countries. So uh, you noted in the news post, Mike, it's now 500,000 away. Well, but- what happened is this, and I'm actually looking at boxofficemojo.com right now, which is where we get all these numbers from. It had moved past Order of the Phoenix. It is now below Order of the Phoenix again. I'm not sure exactly why that is, because the number <laughs> posted earlier in the week was 938.3 million. And now it's 937.3. Right. So, suffice <laughs> it to say, by the time the show is released, if it's going for a Sunday release, that it will pass Order of the Phoenix, because it's only you know, about $0.9 million away from, from passing Order of the Phoenix. The tall task is going to be catching Sorcerer's Stone, which is at 974.7. Wow. I think it's too far away. I don't even think it'll get past Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. But keep in mind, it's not going to be in theaters for much longer. So Right. I think, Unless uh, it is re-released in uh, 3D, which is something to keep an eye on, because if yes. that happens, it has a chance to catch uh, Sorcerer's Stone. My prediction is part one will be back in theaters in 3D uh, right before part two comes out or right with part two. I, I thought they uh, scrapped that project. No, no, they no, they said they do want to eventually release it, whether it's on DVD in 3D or back in theaters, because at this point they have spent so much money on it, they want to get that money back. So it's got to be in some theaters right before part two, because, you know, some people will want to see part one at like 9.30 p.m., and then part two will start almost right away, right after part one ends, you know, at midnight. I wonder what the benefits of seeing part one in 3D are going to be. Like, what scenes are going to stand out that much more in 3D? The snake will come out at you. (laughs) (laughs) I guess so. But I I think, though, you know, regardless of how they're – lined up right now. I mean, having one quarter of the top 12 movies of all time is pretty good. Before we get to the big story of the week, first, we'd like to remind you about our two sponsors for this week's episode. First, Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For listeners of MuggleCast, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their awesome service. One audiobook to consider is Orson Scott Card's classic, Ender's Game. Check out the special 20th anniversary edition, which is digitally remastered with a full cast production. So to purchase that or any other audiobook of your choice for free, go to audiblepodcast.com slash MuggleCast. 
That's audiblepodcast.com slash mugglecast. This episode is also brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to create and manage a high-quality website or blog. Create a website that's uniquely you to display your photos from Flickr, a blog you've been thinking about starting, or the tweets and RSS feeds you like the most, all in the design and colors of your choice. Whatever you want to communicate, you can say it easily and with style with Squarespace. I use Squarespace to create a new website for my podcast, Hype. If you check out HypePodcast.com, you'll see just this really nice website that I created only in a few minutes. I have a lot of HTML and web design experience from working on MuggleNet over the years, but I needed none of it to create this website for my podcast, Hype. So again, check out HypePodcast.com. You'll see how nicely designed it is, how easy it is to read and navigate, and thanks to Squarespace. They'll make you look like a fantastic web designer. The best part is you can try it out today for free. Visit Squarespace.com and sign up for their free trial. Then choose the design template to get started. No credit card is needed. Just give it a try to build your website. Then, after two weeks, if you decide to purchase, enter code MUGGLE to receive 10% off for six months. That's squarespace.com and use offer code MUGGLE. We thank Squarespace for their support of MuggleCast. Well, let's get to the big story of the week, Andrew. You were all set. I know you were pumped up to reveal this in your set report and somebody I beat was. you to it. And I, it was so funny because I was talking with uh, my friend Edward from the Leaky Cauldron the other day and I said, it's it's really exciting. We're going to get to reveal in our set reports this big scene change. And he's like, yeah, yeah, it's going to be really cool. And then two days later, <laughs> this comes out. I'm like, no! Uh, so frustrating. So what happened what- is Andrew Ackland Snow, who is the art director for Harry Potter. And now my worst enemy. I, I never even heard of him before, <laughs> to be honest with you. No, This is in no way supposed to be offensive towards Andrew, but... I, I've never heard of, of this guy before. Usually we hear about, you know, Stuart Craig or uh Alan right. Gilmore. So I'm not quite sure who this guy is, but he did reveal that Severus Snape will have a different death scene in Deathly Hallows Part Two from the book. And this has created a, a little bit of a discussion over the course of the last couple of days. Yeah, well, let, let's. I'll read the quote from Andrew Ackland Snow. And some people in the comments were confused by this, but I think I understand what he's saying. Uh, quote, We wanted to change a bit where Snape dies. In the book, he dies on the Shrieking Shack, and we wanted to get him out from not a conventional interior, but from that kind of box, to do it in a more dramatic atmosphere. We asked J.K. Rowling if she agreed for that to happen in there, because we hadn't really seen it before. Referring to the boathouse. We made a crystal house. And now, people are confused by this Crystal House comment. He's saying that the boathouse is kind of made of crystal, I guess. But I think what he's saying is, like, it's transparent. So anyway, he says, And you can see what happens in the boathouse from there. But also, the school is in flames. And she, being Joe, loved it. Besides, it's a very romantic place to die. Snape dies in an extremely good way, I gotta say. And in the same news post, I reminded everybody about the comments from set designer Stuart Craig, who said last February, quote, the last time I cried was a few days ago when we filmed the death of Alan Rickman's character Snape. It's quite difficult to cry in rushes where we watch the previous day's work, but he's an extraordinary actor and he dies an extremely good death. Wow. So. So now we can finally talk about this. 
it's not embargoed. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'm still. I think I'm still technically embargoed from revealing further what, details un, un, until there, when. Yeah, there are a couple more details that Stuart Craig said to us on set, and we'll be able to release those in a couple months. But uh, are you guys disappointed in this change for Snape? I, I think if you're taking this purely from a movie standpoint, it, it is going to be great, and the way that they set this up with Hogwarts burning down in the background, and you know Snape lying there dying in this boathouse is going to be great for film. But I also understand the argument that other people are making where there are just certain things you don't change. It's not about saying that J.K. Rowling approved it, so we're okay with it. It's about you know taking what was in the book and putting it on screen and not changing that, being true to the book in that sense. Not to say that what they do isn't going to be great or isn't going to be better. It's just about following what's in the text. And I think, you know, those people have just as much of a legitimate argument as the people who say, well, if J.K. Rowling likes it, how can we disagree? So so you're saying some people in the comments are saying, you know, is nothing sacred, right? I mean, yeah, as far exactly. as Exactly. Keeping- and, I, and, I, and I don't think they're they're not saying that for the purposes of watching a movie that this isn't going to be this great epic scene. They're just saying, hey, can't we just stick to what's in the book? I see that. And, and your your thoughts, Eric? Um, there was a scene that was supposed to take place in the Shrieking Shack that was cut in the Shrieking Shack in movie three. And that mattered far more to me than this Snape's death scene. It happens, at least we know it happens. They're not going to not kill Snape. It happens somewhere else. I'm excited. I think when we when we heard from Stuart Craig, uh, I was talking about the Marauders scene, by the way. Um, but when we heard from Stuart Craig in February, you know that he cried when when Snape died, that or when Alan Rickman's Snape died at, when they were filming it, it. It just it just made me feel so good about it. And seeing part one and how there were scenes in, of Deathly Hallows part one where it wasn't true to the book. For instance, Hedwig's death, and I think that the choices they made were choices. In the end, I really agreed with, and, and, and I can definitely see where fans are coming from. Why couldn't it have happened in the shack? But I, I, th- I just feel personally that during the final battle, Harry is kind of everywhere, and uh, the Shrieking Shack is pretty far away from for him to like walk while people are engaged in battle and dying and stuff. It just seems... So, so I figured they'd do something different for the film, and I, I was kind of expecting this almost. Um, but I will say the Crystal House comment did not make sense to me, but it's about house, so that that makes I was like, is there a house on school grounds? What's up with that? Like Dumbledore's tomb yeah. isn't even on school grounds. But if it's boathouse, that makes sense. I think right. my biggest problem with it, Andrew, when you first told me uh, about it, was that for the story, it's about, in a way, coming full circle. Because if you remember, Snape almost died you know, going into the Shrieking Shack, and he was saved by uh, Harry's father. And that is inevitably where he ends up dying in the series, and I think that was written for a specific purpose. And to take that, and to completely change it for the film, just because it may be more dramatic, you know, that's where I had the problem with it, because I thought that, you know, J.K. Rowling wrote this a specific way. He almost died, and then in the end he does end up dying there. So, yeah, I I think that um, 
everybody in the end will feel good about it. I mean, considering, again, the Stuart Craig crying comment, I think that's very, that spoke volumes because it was so moving and even incomplete. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't digitally, it wasn't finished. It wasn't part of the editing. It was just the sort of shot that they got and he was so moved by it. So I think it's going to be really something special. And what a lot of people brought up in the comments, which I do agree with, is, you know, Joe did sign off on it. And if she's cool with it, <laughs> I think we should all bow down. But be cool with it. Somebody too. else also brought up the point that she's approved a lot of the other changes that have taken. She approves every change that takes place <laughs> in the films, and there are plenty of people who don't like it. So you got to remember that as well. Um, the other thing that somebody brought up in the comments was it, it, with the shrieking shack scene. You know, Harry, Ron, and Hermione, or or, or Harry, is hidden. You know, how do you hide in a, around the corner of a transparent house? Because <laughs> remember, Voldemort <laughs> is there. He kills Snape and with, or Nagini kills Maybe Snape. Maybe they're under the cloak. Maybe. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they have a, they have a way. And, and not to mention the other minor issue, which is that we've never been introduced to the boathouse before. Yeah. It's so. in the video game. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> Well, it, it, I hope it won't feel like it did in Lost whenever on the show they would add new Dharma hatches that only lasted like one episode. Like it just felt cheap. But I think it'll be done artfully. I think it'll be done fine. All right. Well, that's all for news this week. Like we said, a little bit shorter, but of course that big sto- story, everybody was talking about it. It's the most commented story on MuggleNet this month about Snape, the, the death, death scene changing. And you got some tweets, right, later on? Yeah, later on we're going to get through some tweets. People reacted very passionately about the news at hand. So we'll get to those after chapter by chapter. For now, this week we're looking at Goblet of Fire chapters 21 through 23. I have the first chapter, Mike has the second, and Eric has the third. Chapter 21, The House Elf Liberation Front. Uh, it starts off with Harry telling Ron about what Sirius had to say about Karkaroff, and Ron thinks Karkaroff must feel pretty dumb now about his plan not working. But I disagree, because there's still two more challenges left, and surely Karkaroff knows um, that they're going to get more challenging. Um, but would you guys say it's fair to say that Karkaroff was surprised by how well Harry did? Do you think Karkaroff would have expected him to be dead by the end of the first task? I think it's fair to say. I mean, he has a 14-year-old in a 17-year-old game, you know, and and he's facing a dragon. I think I think everybody was surprised by how by the fact that Harry was kind of still around. Yeah. But the other thing is that Harry feels that Karkaroff was you know, Karkaroff's the 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 suspect here where, you know, he kind of sees it as 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 having to prove something almost in a way where, where Karkaroff, you know, I, I th- is kind of just gritty and edgy. And I think he, obviously he would prefer if there were less competition for, for Durmstrang, uh, in, in this contest, but right. Karkaroff is, you know, seeing as how Karkaroff isn't the, the main bad guy here, it's not his disappointment to, to suffer really. And of course, I mean, clearly he's not happy with Harry's performance because he gives him such a low mark. Was he give him a four? for uh, his performance against the dragon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does what he can. Clearly very biased. Yeah, and I think it's a bit ironic, though, too, because the whole book, you're really thinking that somebody put his name in the Goblet of Fire in order to kill him 
in the tournament when in fact the whole reason he's been entered into the tournament is to make it through to the very end. So um, to celebrate Harry's victorious win, uh, there's a celebration party that's held for Harry in the Gryffindor common room. And during the party, Harry's encouraged to open the golden egg that he had grabbed during the first task. He opens it and screeches very loudly. And everybody begins to take guesses at what this very loud, annoying sound could mean. What? Where is the clue in that? Neville assumed that uh, it's the sound of be- someone being tortured, so they're going to have to face a Cruciatus curse. Um, but George notes that they wouldn't make them do that because it's illegal. But you know, so w- Harry entering the rule, entering the tournament was kind of—I uh, don't know if it was illegal, but nothing's nothing's ordinary this tournament, so. Interesting that Neville mentions the Cruciatus curse. The Cruciatus curse, yeah. What he's actually, I mean, what he's actually hearing, what, is what mermaids sound like above water, right? Because the clue is in, is in Mermish. Yeah. So the fact that Neville hears the screeching and, and associates it to, you know, his childhood, the, the torture of his parents, and, you know, that's just pretty mm. spooky. And do you think that that's what, uh, the mermaids sound like above water? Because do they automatically scream like that, do you think, once they are brought above water? Because presumably they can't well, go may- above water. Or oh, else. no, they can. Um, because uh, in, in the book, Dumbledore is seen conversing with the people. Yeah, after the tournament. But, uh, after but I don't the second think... It, I, I think... Yeah, I think the fact that it's screeching... Obviously, like, they're singing, so there's music or whatever. Yeah, I just think uh, it, it's it's not, again, the not human ears thing. Where, where, like, yeah. it doesn't have to sound good to humans. <laughs> yeah. But it's, yeah, it was really, really weird. And and at this point, you're like, okay, a screeching egg. That This this gets weirder and weirder, but it kind of pulls you in, in a way. You know, all... Yeah, it's a very odd clue, and I'm sure readers, the first time... I can't remember that far back, personally, but the first time, I was probably very taken aback by that, too. And I think the Cruciatus Curse was certainly a... um valid uh it's, yes. it seems reasonable especially because we just learned about the killing curses this year you know they're, yeah, they're going right. to continue to play a big role in this book particularly and we know that um so so the question is where and when so hermione learns all this party food had been from the hogwarts kitchen and meaning the house elves she asks how fred got in there because he was the one who got all the food and they become suspicious at the question fred and george uh, you know, why Hermione would be asking such a thing. And George suggests that Hermione probably wants to go lead them out on a strike. Half jokingly, half serious, because they know that Hermione's been up to this uh, SPW business lately. So later on, Hermione does um, go down to the kitchen, taking Fred's tip. And she comes running back into the common room after having been there to find Harry and leads him down to the elf kitchen below the great hall and it's very interesting i really liked how joe described it um basically there are four tables right underneath the four tables in the great hall so somehow you know the the house elves presumably set all the tables and whatnot and then the food magically transfers from the from the uh, kitchen uh from the kitchen hall to the great hall uh, which is cool. Yeah, I, I always like that. How that was I, described. When I first read that, I thought that was really cool the way that she laid that yeah. out. So, so where do they cook the food? Is there a third layer? Is there like a basement to the basement uh, that is like maybe the kitchen is just off to the side? 
it may have been briefly mentioned. I'm not sure. I mean, because we do hear in a little bit that you know Dobby has pots and he starts hitting himself with pots and pans. So <laughs> it can't, couldn't. It has to be in that same room. Yeah, yeah. Harry brings Hermione down into the elf kitchen below the great hall, and Hermione had found Dobby and wanted to bring Harry to him straight away. So Harry immediately notices Dobby wearing a ton of clothing, and Dobby introduces him to Winky, who immediately begins crying. It's noted multiple times, though, that all of the elves are very enthusiastic and smiling. They're just happy to be working, uh, except for Winky, who still feels guilty about leaving Crouch. Dobby explains he wanted uh, pay to Harry, now being the free elf that he is. And while Dobby is explaining this, the other house elves kind of step away from Dobby because they, um, as Joe notes, they thought that he were, it was as if he were carrying something contagious because he's speaking of this uh, unspeakable kind of attitude, uh, wanting pay, which of course sickens Hermione. Dobby reveals Dumbledore agreed to pay him a galleon a week and give him uh, one day off a month. Hermione is horrified at this deal. But Dobby is ecstatic, and uh, Dobby notices Hermione, you know, reacting this way, and he says, oh no, uh, Dumbledore actually originally offered 10 galleons a week, and weekends off, but Dobby thought that was too much. <laughs> so, <laughs> Hermione, you know, this doesn't make Hermione feel any better. Uh, she's very concerned, I guess, that um, Dobby is still programmed, and this should maybe make something click with her, that Dobby, you know, he... He he's okay with this. He was okay with the lower pay. Do you guys think that should have struck Hermione? Like to hey, maybe back off. <laughs> Considering he was offered higher pay and he wanted lower pay. He doesn't want to be proven wrong, is the thing. And so when when Ron or somebody will just say, Well the house elves like it like that, um, you know, she she's not so quick to agree. I think eventually she sees that, but but the fact that Dobby talked Dumbledore down, <laughs> you know, I'll give yeah. you 10 galleons. No, 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 sir. No, <laughs> Dobby only requires one galleon. It's just, it's, 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 an, it's amusing. But I think Hermione is definitely fighting. You know, Dobby's the odd one out. I think she has more hope. Hermione has more hope for the other house elves. Maybe Winky. But, but in general, you know, the whole lot of them, because they're not at, even as free as Dobby is. I think she tries to focus. Dobby's kind of the odd one out, I think, in both groups, to both groups of people. Do you think that um, Dumbledore was paying uh, Dumbledore was paying Dobby out of pocket, out of his personal pocket? <laughs> Is there a fund? Yeah, pro- probably. Well, I'm just wondering, because it was so minimal, and Dobby probably goes to Dumbledore directly for the pay, so. Yeah. I don't think he gets, like, a check. So you- or or what the equivalent of that would right. be, like the other professors. Because uh, I wonder if it would even be allowed to pay an el- yeah. a house elf. Yeah. So maybe Dumbledore kind of does it under the table. <laughs> this way Dobby doesn't have to pay taxes on that, taxes. <laughs> that one galleon. So Hermione asks Winky how much she's getting paid, but she says she refuses to stoop that low, still, of course, crying. Uh, she's okay with, I think she was wearing an article or two of clothing, but she would, she still refused to get paid. And Dobby, this is, by the way, Dumbledore's, or Dobby's character really shines in this, um, chapter. Uh, the way he speaks, you really get a sense of him personally. I kind of fell in love with the Dobby character all over again, rereading this chapter. Uh, but Dobby says Winky still feels very loyal to Crouch. And Dobby doesn't feel that way as much towards uh, Lucius. 
and dares himself to say something bad about Lucius. He does, but he can't quite resist the urge um, to punish himself for speaking badly, saying that he um, that uh, that Lucius is a very bad Death Eater. I think the the wordage was. Um. So that sort of wraps up the conversation, and Hermione thinks Dobby's presence in the kitchen is good for the rest of the, uh, of the elves, as they can see how happy Dobby is as a free elf. Even though, you know, the elves were backing away a little earlier, um, still very weary of what the heck Dobby is up to. And to wrap up this chapter, I just have an overall question. What's in Dobby's character that allows him to be so comfortable and happy with being free, while there's not one other elf who feels this way? Why is it, why is Dobby like this? Is it because maybe he connected with one human being Harry? Uh, you know, being, was, was the fact that Harry freed Dobby suddenly like a light switch that, in Dobby's head? That's a good question. Micah, what were you going to say? Uh, I think you could almost make the argument if you really wanted to, when you look at Dobby and, and where he came from. Freedom would be really the best alternative in the world. Whereas you have these elves that work at Hogwarts, right? And I'm assuming that their lives are million times better than what Dobby was experiencing when he was living at Malfoy Manor. So maybe, and I know it's a stretch, but because every case is different, but I'm assuming Dumbledore treats his house elves or the house elves of Hogwarts far better than you know, the Malfoys treated Dobby. So maybe Dobby, in the end, deep down inside, really just wanted to get away from being beaten all the time. No? It's interesting, though, for a house elf to want that, because it almost seems like house elves are, programmed. Are, are, so, are so bound, programmed, brainwashed, whatever you want to use, that even if they have uh, an owner who misuses them or isn't that great to them, I believe... Hepzibah Smith's, uh, you know, house elf was seen, shown as very loyal, but but she also, you know, very caretaking. My point is um, that Dobby, we have to remember that he actually strayed from the Malfoys and made his way to Privet Drive, not just once to visit Harry uh, in year two. But somehow he was collecting and stopping the owls that were going to Harry. Dobby spent a lot of time thinking about Harry Potter that year based on his own motivation because there were talks about terrible things happening in Hogwarts and and I think that act of, that Dobby did back in Harry's year 2 shows that that he was always kind of the the odd one out he was always somehow able to realize that what was you know he was somehow able to dissent the rogue even, house you know elf. even if even if house elves know right and wrong the way humans do the fact that he was able to act on it is makes him really strange. So that wraps up chapter 21, and Micah, I hand the keys over to you now to drive us through chapter 22. <laughs> well, chapter 22 opens uh, the unexpected task with uh, Harry and Ron in the back of their transfiguration class with Professor McGonagall, and... Of course, they're not paying attention, and you know it's one of those scenes where McGonagall yells at them, and um, what an unexpected task, by the way, but that everybody has in uh, high school yeah. or middle school, even. Yep. Yeah, I, I I love the name of this chapter. You know, 
It's a it's a task. It's right up there with battling dragons and 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 it may know, be worse than eggs. battling dragons. <laughs> I feel like Harry would have cases. chosen to face the dragon again. Yep. Yeah. So then find a date. Uh, well, McGonagall at the end of class informs all the students uh, that the Yule Ball will be taking place, and she lets them know that it's going to be open to fourth years and above. But you're more than welcome to ask somebody who's younger than you are. Now, is that really fair? I mean, why is it fair that you can go ahead and ask somebody younger than you and they can go, but that person's best friend can't go? You know, is that really a good practice to be setting? And is it only open to fourth years and older because of Harry? Oh, that's you mean otherwise it would be seventh years and older? Not that there are older? Huh. Uh, that's an interesting question. I can see why they wouldn't want the ten year olds. Yeah. In um, well, eleven, but at the or eleven, yeah. I it just I don't know if that makes sense when you know some of the students are also seventeen, eighteen. Well, it's 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 like junior and senior prom. I mean, sophomore and freshman are not allowed in unless they're dating. Or, you know, going with a junior. Right. Or so- or I guess that's kind it, of where it, it came they, from. They, they all have their, their time. It, it's, it's a formal thing. It's just, it's just kind of exclusive so that it makes it that much more special when you are a junior or senior to attend. I, I, I do, yeah, I do think that the, the, yeah, the 14 year old is probably because of Harry. That'd be, but then again, it would be an extremely not, well, not, not an entirely well populated dance if only one year of students. We're, we're there, you know. It would kind of. I think we forget how young they are too. I mean, eleven-year-olds at a dance just doesn't make sense. <laughs> well, you can't mix with seventeen, eighteen-year-olds. I mean, that, that's a completely different end of the spectrum, really. Yep. So during all this, Harry also learns that he is going to have to be part of the ball's opening dance. So, deal or no deal, fair or unfair, what do you guys think? I mean. It, it's it's almost like it, it's one of those things that, that you find out about and then all of a sudden your mind starts racing in a million different ways to try and figure out how you can get out of it. Because that seems like what was going on with Harry right then and there. Uh, so yeah, it's a formality. It though, is a formality. So, yeah. But also, I mean, he's just finding out about this weeks before the Yule Ball. Is that really okay to do to somebody? But, he always well, seems to get well, information, I mean, like, right before. He never gets it, like, in advance. It's just a typical thing that happens in high school or middle school. You have these last-minute, you know, you have to make last-minute plans for the um, for the, for the, the ball, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's part of the, the you know, it, it is a tradition, the Yule Ball. And, and ju- you know, it was obviously pre-planned, but it was supposed to be a surprise. Um, but that does happen to Harry often that I agree with, you know, where he just has things come up. Yeah. Um, well, I guess it's almost like a, a prom king and queen, you know, they have to, uh, they stand out above, uh, the rest of the group. So they have to, you know, take this first dance, so to speak. And it's not exactly a school dance. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's also Durmstrang Bobaton and it's only, you know, an event that would only happen if the Triwizard Tournament were going on, which, you know, hasn't happened in quite some time. So that's what I liked about the Yule Ball was the fact that it's like, 
it's associated, you know, with the Triwizard Tournament. And so the fact that the champions have their special dance, you know, and it's a great honor to be one of the champions, but also a date of one of the champions is, 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 is exclusive and special. Right. Now, I don't know what the Weird Sisters have to do with anything, but we'll get into that later. <laughs> uh, Harry starts to notice all these female students that currently attend Hogwarts as if they didn't exist previously. Uh, you know, and, and I thought, you know, it's more of a coming of age type of, uh, you know, maturity, whatever you want to call it, you know, that, that he's sort of experiencing this, especially since now he needs a date for the ball. And, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of little scenes here where he's walking around and he's got some female students that come up and ask him. And I think one, he was really, uh, you know, quick to respond and say no to her out of nowhere. Uh, he was kind of surprised at, at how quickly he reacted. Uh, but you know, then he starts with all these people that, that they keep coming up to him. He starts to wonder to himself, you know, would anybody want to go to the ball with him if he wasn't a champion? But, uh, you know, say we're we're at this point in the book, and you know it's a different title, and and Harry, you know, doesn't end up in this Triwizard Tournament. Um, you know, but I think wouldn't you guys agree that he's pretty famous, regardless? You know, somebody would want to go to the ball with this guy because let's face it, he's this the series is named after him, right? He's still famous regardless <laughs> of whether or not he's in this freaking tournament. Yeah, he's still he's still probably he's still the most popular Gryffindor, but. I think you have to want it, and and here's the situation where Harry finds himself stuck, where he needs a date, and I think if 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 he weren't a champion here, he wouldn't need to worry about this. But also, he wouldn't. I I think you know, girls can be interested in you, but unless you're interested in um, being with a girl, there's really not a whole lot they can do. Um, you know, except to try and persuade you. I think, I think, so Harry's at that point where, where otherwise I don't think he would be, uh, enough of himself that it would be fun for, you know, to go to a dance or, or fun for anybody to take him to a dance. I think the fact, the fact of the matter is, is that he's, he's rising to the occasion. He, he has to do this. This is something. Right. And it's, it's in his, it's in his character. So, so you um, think it would to, be more of, say, he didn't find out about, uh, no pun intended, but if he could have, he would have went stack. That's what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. I really at this think point so. in or, his life, know, he just he's just not there. Sometimes it's just easier hung out hung out with Ron, you know, or or if Hermione hadn't gone and you know off with Crumb, I, I think things would have turned out a little bit differently. But but obviously, I mean, there, there's this is Hermione's time to shine. But yeah, I think in the words of Jason Derulo. I'm riding solo. I'm riding solo. That'd be a good make the music connection. All right. <laughs> so <laughs> the song I'm riding yes. solo. You'd be riding solo. <laughs> okay. Just want to make sure you Got get it. that. Uh, so Harry and Ron find it difficult uh, to find dates to the old ball. We've pretty much established that, and it seems they should have went together. Who says you have to go with a girl? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay, so... Dumbledore should not have a problem with that. <laughs> That's true. This is a progressive, progressive castle. Uh, yes. But uh, the point to make here, though, it seems like everyone else is is ahead of the game, doesn't it? I mean, you hear about all these people as they start to ask. It, it seems like Harry and Ron just really didn't uh, plan much ahead. Not that they ever do, but... You know, we find out Hermione's going with somebody, Ginny's going with somebody, Neville's going with somebody. 
uh, you know, uh, Seamus is going with somebody. Uh, Fred asks Angelina Johnson right in front of them. Uh, so, you know, a little behind the eight ball, these guys are. I, you know, it happens though. And, um, there's always one or two people that still don't have a date. I mean, it's almost like Joe's writing from experience. I mean, she got it down perfectly. Almost anyone can relate to that type of situation. Most guys can. I mean, unless you're in the popular, popular groups, but Lord, Lord knows none of us were back in the day. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> so we get to the point where Harry finally, uh, gets up enough courage to go and ask Cho Chang. And, uh, he, it's interesting reading sort of the emotions that he's going through the right, right then and there, you know, as he's approaching to ask her and how quickly the emotions change from, you know, kind of having those butterflies or I think he talks about like having snakes in his stomach. And then all of a sudden it turns to ice cold when she tells him that she's already going with somebody else. And, uh, you know, kind of comparing who Harry goes after versus who Ron goes after, you know, do you guys think it shows how mature they are at this point in the series? Well, Harry likes Cho for the same reason Ron likes Fleur, I think. Or, well, no, I guess Harry does like... Well, Harry finds Cho very pretty, but I think he also does like her because she's also into Quidditch, right? I mean, why Why does Harry ask Cho? Why is Cho the one that Harry asks? Because he likes her. I think her. that's it. I, yeah, I mean, you know, every once in a while you're when you're... In, middle school high school heck elementary school you get these little crushes and then you're like oh i'll i want to well ron has that for floor but i i guess i think it's on a different level though i i I think more like you know flores is like she's hot you know like i don't know how to but it's the obvious i think there's more emotional involvement with with harry and cho than there is with ron and floor if that yeah. makes sense. I think I think in fact Ron is avoiding his feelings by asking Floor because it can be guessed that he has those kinds of feelings if he were to sit down and think about it for for Hermione. Okay. So so yeah, I do think it's a different in uh, difference in maturity. Um and obviously both guys don't actually get anywhere from asking their their crushes unfortunately. We're, we're going to get an email that we, we should have had a, a girl on the show. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> it is, it is the rom- it is the romance side of the, of the, yeah. of the story. We're trying. We're trying. Uh, <laughs> you would really think though it would have been too hard to f- for Harry to find someone really. I mean, I think the, the, it just came down to the fact that he waited too long. And that happens a lot in real life. So. Yeah. So towards the end of the chapter, uh, when they're all in the common room and, and Harry and Ron still do not, have dates. Uh, we start to get a little bit of insight into how Hermione feels towards Ron and how Ginny feels towards Harry, um, you know, based on, uh, what happens and what takes place. And, uh, I, I added, man, Neville is a pimp. <laughs> Cause, Cause it's just so interesting to hear about Neville. It's like Neville asked Hermione. Well, then Neville asked Ginny and it's just, you don't, Think that he would be the the one. Yeah, you never would have he's, guessed he's that. He's got chutzpah. Chutzpah. It's it's a fun little twist to his character. Putz like what? He, you know, you chutzpah. <laughs> it's a fun twist to his character because you never would have guessed that he would be the one, and then he ends up being that the the pimp. Yeah. And he scores Ginny. Look at that. I mean, I think obviously she felt bad for him, but because Hermione said no, right? I mean, I think that's said. 
Yeah, well, she had but, already committed to somebody else. That's right, why she yeah, said yeah, no. I, right, right. Otherwise, I, yeah, she probably just, would have said yes. But the courage, that's just the thing. Like, you know, that's what Ron lacks. Neville Neville has. And I guess being a Gryffindor is all about courage. Yeah. But you do get that insight, you know, sort of with, with the, the interaction between Hermione and Ron. You know, specifically when Ron tries to keep having a go at her about, you know, not really having a date and just pretending for the sake of, you know, making herself look better. And then Ginny, who kind of turns red when uh, Ron suggests that Harry should just go with her, but she already has a date. You know, you get to see a little bit of the jealousy that's taking place there. Yeah. I'm going to need counseling after I know. This, it's, <laughs> this, this chapter, chapter brought back a lot of bad memories. I was reading it. I uh, wanted to, yeah. But it does end uh, with uh, at least Harry 100% certain that he does have a date uh, with uh, Parvati. And he asked, All right, good. he asked Lavender to go with Ron. Yeah, which is Actually. kind of funny. <laughs> I thought that was funny. She's Lavender Brown, of course, is, is going with Seamus at the time. But uh, they, I think Harry goes up to Parvati and Lavender as they walk into the common room, and they burst into a fit of giggles. Or, or There's Harry a lot of says, giggling um, going on in this chapter. Yeah, it's very odd. Like, me Par- back to high Harry school. says, will you go to the ball with me? And Parvati went into a fit of giggles. Harry waited for them to subside, his fingers crossed in the pocket of his robes. So he's like, it's laughter. I can take laughter, but it's not a no. <laughs> so will she say yes? That's what that's what he's hoping. Okay, good. Well, let's move on now to chapter twenty-three. Okay, so it's uh, it's Christmas break uh, at Hogwarts, and <laughs> there are some interesting food items sweeping the the common room. Fred and George's canary creams are a huge success. Apparently, when you eat them, you burst into feathers. Um, and students everywhere are, st- are do no longer trust food offered to them by their friends. And that's a big deal. Harry is kind of watching the twins uh, and, and their aspirations all throughout this chapter. Um, and it is just said that, that Fred and George plan to make more sweets um, that, that, that do funny things. So, so obviously we see here the beginning of their, their business enterprise, how they want to start – I think it's said right now that they, they want to start – selling their 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 products um which is an interesting move for them how do you think do you think that this was a given because fred and george were always the jokers that they would one day open up a joke shop or what else could they have been what other career aspirations could they could they have undertaken and been successful at do you think I don't know if it would be a ministry office necessarily or a ministry department, but I think like a lot of what they bring to the table could be used to, you know, uh, capture people that maybe the ministry was looking for or, you know, almost like spy slash espionage type of stuff because they're very creative in, in terms of, of, of the things that they use. And, you know, just looking at, you know, something as silly as, as eating a, a canary cream and it turns you into this, you know, human bird, essentially. You know, I, I think, you know, kind of as their skills develop over the next couple of years, in some of the things that they come up with, like, uh, you know, I'm sure there's a, a million examples. I just can't think of them right now. But, you know, I think that, 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 that they would have a career in that because, I you know, they have more talent than just being able to create these cool things that are for sale in the joke shop. You know, they're they're like uh, Inspector Gadget. 
it away. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Okay, now I see it. You know, because he was always a bit of, of an ass clown, you know, if you think about it. He he always caught people by accident. But It's true. I, but with the twins, no, I think they're smart. They're smart. And, no, they are. Or they could teach. Endlessly I mean, they, they could teach, you know, how to make some of this stuff to, uh, you know, a special class, an elective at Hogwarts. I'm yeah. sure Dumbledore, I mean, I, if he was I, alive, I, I, would go for that. <laughs> no, I think I think you're right, and 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 I guess it's the way that the world turns, where they, you know, the world frankly needs a joke shop in a year or two, yeah, and, and that's why it's convenient for them to choose this route. But I think I think those are all good alternative um, jobs for them. But but basically, we see they're they're starting at the beginnings of what will be Weasley's Wizarding Weezes. Um, so they just got out of um breakfast or 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 lunch, I think it was. A turkey dinner and they're leaving the great hall and they encounter malfoy and malfoy is just malfoy like he usually is but um ron notices that hermione has altered her teeth malfoy makes a comment your your abnormally long molars or long molared mud blood he calls her something like this and ron looks at her teeth and says hey hermione your your teeth are s- straight and normal more than they, they have been. And Hermione reveals that um, after the last run-in with Malfoy, uh, you know, Hermione went to the, the hospital wing and Madame Pomfrey shrunk her her teeth. The fact that, that Hermione uh, has a, has basically under, undergone plastic surgery, she says, you know, she tried to get her parents to, to allow her to do it herself, um, but they wanted to put braces on her, being dentists. Um but I, I'm just wondering what it says that that Hermione is so affected by her her personal body image because because we like to think of uh, female characters as being uh, maybe above that contempt yeah yeah well it makes me wonder what else in the uh, what else you can enlarge and shrink <laughs> in the well surely world. breasts Not that I would I mean that's that's right a you have to think that... about how many celebrities wouldn't have to pay for the these breast enhancements. You know, if they they could just It'd be go quick, easy, and reliable, to, uh, you know, and not fake. Uh, are you kidding? You, you know how scary it would be to point a wand at your chest and go engorgio. I mean, could that go so wrong? <laughs> it could, yes. So, but Hermione, really though, Hermione is is basically giving in to to everything, like the to what Malfoy said. Okay, so uh, next they've uh, the trio finds Pigwidgeon. Uh, he returns with a letter from Sirius. Is, I thought this was a really good note from Sirius. I just the more I read it, the more I liked it. Uh, it basically it warns Harry that there are still two tasks left of the Triwizard Tournament, so it's plenty of time for whatever enemy there is to still hurt him. He says, "You know, great job. I was really excited to hear you know how you beat him, but there's still two tasks left." Christmas is basically a snowball fight. Harry and the Weasleys. Uh, Hermione watches. She's still not telling Ron who she's going to the Yule Ball with, but the Yule Ball is that night. So Hermione leaves early. Yeah. I think Hermione really enjoys uh, leaving uh, Ron at bay here with the answer because she knows it bothers bothers him so much. And I think it's clear that he's really wishing he asked Hermione sooner. She likes the attention. I don't think he ever has that kind of maturity, though, to say, oh, I wish I had asked her sooner. Do you? Well, right, maybe not say it out loud, but I'm sure now he thinks it, because he wants to... Why does he care so much who she's going with if uh, it's true. he didn't sort of regret... Because he's 
he's gonna end up. Yeah, he must regret it. A he, he's gonna bit. end up comparing himself to whoever she has asked, you know, and is going with. And when it turns out to be Crumb, well, he just can't compare, so he gets really jealous. But um, Hermione actually says, you know, I'm not going to tell you because you'll just make fun of me, which is weird because she's 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 playing the victim card, frankly, where she's like, oh, you'll make fun of me if I tell you. But anyway, she leaves to get ready a bit earlier than the guys do. When the guys do get ready, Ron magics off all the lace of his dress robes, so they're slightly manlier. Um, not not really though. Still kind of not looking that great. Um, but they go down to the to the ball, and Dean uh, asks Harry and Ron how they have uh, managed to get the best looking girls in 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 their year and ron has a funny response he replies animal magnetism so what does that even mean <laughs> it, it it's Seriously. it's carnal it's it's carnal it means you know um instinct like uh infatuation pheromones oh. like like that ah, animal magnet that's what i took it to mean anyway I, although I, I could be wrong Anyway, so the U-Ball starts. Um, Harry realizes that Victor's Cr- Victor Crumb's partner is actually Hermione, because they're all gathering in the Great Hall. Um, but Harry says she didn't look like Hermione at all. And Harry notices Hermione's teeth again, and also realizes that she's just carrying herself way different. Uh, Joe writes something about, you know, maybe it's because she just wasn't carrying 28 books like she usually is. That She she just has this different stature, and you know, all the underclassmen, bunch of Slytherins, everybody's glaring at Hermione. And and she just seems to really shine at the Yule Ball. My question is, what what aspect of her character is 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 shining right now? Because she's she's glowing, but but why? What what about this? Is it like the recognition she she never got from Harry or Ron, or what exactly about this allows Hermione to 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 just live in the well, moment? Well, I think it's that, and also what Harry just noticed <laughs> again, the smaller teeth, and maybe she's got this new uh, self image <laughs> that she's really proud of. I guess she feels good about herself. I mean, that could have been something that really bothered her. Uh, you know that we didn't. I mean, we kind of knew it bothered her because she was made fun of for it, but. You know, now now she doesn't have it. It was fixed, and I I bet that made her feel really good about herself. Yeah. Um, Karkaroff, just to keep that in mind, he is he is the villain, I guess, at the moment for the readers. He is seen looking uh, disapproving of Hermione and Crumb, and he it's actually said like Ron glares at Hermione as she walks by, but Karkaroff, Harry notices, is also glaring. And I asked, is this is this due to like Karkaroff's Death Eater or anti mudblood beliefs? Because he he doesn't want to see his star player Crumb go out with this Muggleborn. Is that why he's glaring, or why is why would Karkaroff have an opinion of of Hermione otherwise? Maybe just because, hmm, maybe maybe just because she's a Hogwarts student, <laughs> or maybe because she's friends with Harry, or maybe because of the mudblood. I think it could be it's any true. of those. I think. Yeah, I like what Andrew yeah. said though. I I think he's not really. Uh... Big Hogwarts supporter, I don't think. So yeah, seeing Crumb may may uh, seeing Crumb possibly have feelings for Hermione may make Karkaroff worried that he may play to the advantage of Hogwarts at the tournament or something uh, like that. Who knows? He could be having this whole big theory behind it. Okay, well that's that's a good point, um, especially because Ron uses a similar argument against Hermione later. 
But okay, well, uh, the food at this at this Yule Ball is different. I didn't remember this at all when I read this, and you know from earlier. But there are menus in in their seats, and Dumbledore sets the example by picking up his menu, and there are choices, and he announces his choice like vocally to the menu, and then his food appears, which I thought was really really cool. Oh well, that's how it works at um Sonic drive throughs <laughs> here in America. <laughs> you speak towards the menu, and it, it comes to you. That's nothing new, Eric. Uh, okay, my bad. Jeez. All right. Uh, <laughs> Harry uh, takes the moment to think of Hermione because these menus means that house elves have basically provided like maybe three times as much food or something. He says that that you know he's worried about the house elves for Hermione. He looks over though. He you know he says Hermione must really be thinking about SPEW, and it turns out Hermione hardly noticed. Or, you know, it said she, she hardly notices or appears to notice what it is she's eating. So she's really in the moment. Like, like she's with Crumb at the, obviously. But she, she's lost. She's not even thinking about house of rights at this moment, which, which just shows that there are a lot of good things happening to Hermione at this moment. So, um, similarly, Crumb tells Hermione, he starts to tell her what Durmstrang is like, uh, but Karkaroff cuts her off, saying that, uh, you know, and Dumbledore interjects, he's like, oh, but it's all about cooperation, and, and Karkaroff says, well, every school has their, their secrets. Um, and, and he says that those secrets are, you know, Karkaroff likes those secrets to be kept among the, the schools. And Dumbledore says that he doesn't feel he'll ever understand all of the secrets of Hogwarts, and that just that morning, Dumbledore, while walking to the bathroom, encountered a room full of chamber pots that, when he tried finding later, uh, he could not. So, this is interesting because I believe, and it it has been confirmed, that this room is actually the room of requirement. And Dumbledore winks at Harry, by the way. He knows Harry's listening, and he winks at him after mentioning this mysterious room. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is just another one of those things where when you go back into the books and you read them again, you realize that things were introduced a lot earlier than you previously thought. Ron and Hermione have a fight, guys. This is this is bad. This lasts for two pages in the book, and this is a 30-page chapter, but but this fight lasts a while, and I'm going to summarize it here. Ron tells Hermione that Crumb was probably sent by Karkaroff to get close to her to spy on Harry and accuses Hermione of helping Crumb solve the mystery of the egg. And I wrote, not only does this belittle all effort on Hermione's part to gain Crumb's affection, because they've been hanging at the library a lot, um, but it also extremely belittles her loyalty to Harry and Ron and Gryffindor and Hogwarts. And I, I just wrote, I really think Ron has gone too far. Well, I think he's just trying to make her jealous, sort of like, oh, you should have, you should have went with me. You shouldn't have picked Crumb because, dot dot dot. You know, I'm because you know Crumb is fraternizing with the enemy. He, even though he says that, though, I just feel like everything about how Ron approaches this. Not only is it not the right way to go about it, but what he says is just the wrong, extremely the wrong thing to say. He's not, he, there's no good, there's no way that Hermione's going to say, oh yes, you're right, because he's attacking her character on so many levels that, that he really just, he's just being stupid because he knows that that's not true. Well, it's, it's you know, also a complete role reversal from where uh, you were at the beginning of, of the book, where Ron was the one that was so enamored by Crumb. I mean, well, Hermione says as much. I'm not the one with the model of him in my yeah, dormitory. ready to have a freaking bromance over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, 
Anyway, uh, another interesting bit here, uh, Hermione, right before she stomps off, she says uh, against Ron that the, the whole point of this Triwizard Tournament is international magical cooperation. And Ron shouts back, no, it's not. The point is winning. And Hermione leaves, and Crumb comes by. He was just getting drinks, like Hermione said. And Percy is at the, the Yule Ball, actually, on behalf of Mr. Crouch. Comes over to Ron and says, Oh, you're talking to Crumb, making friends with Victor Crumb. Excellent that you've made friends with Victor Crumb. The whole point of this tournament is international magical cooperation. So, I thought that was funny. It's validation for Hermione. But it's... I mean, it's all bound to happen, too, by the way, these little fights. Um, whether or not I think, um, you know, that Hermione was going to go to the Yule Ball with Crumb because I think there's just a lot of tension between all these players. They're all, they're all young. They're all, this is their first major kind of, um, life threatening sort of experience. And so I, I don't blame them when they're, well, all this tension is mounting. See, but I don't buy the, the international magical cooperation thing because it, it didn't have any payoff later in the books. Well, it, oh, yeah, if you think about it, it's not like, again, and I think we've talked about this in another episode, but it's not like you had, uh, you know, the final battle and, and in came Durmstrang and in came Bobatons and, and, you know, you, you didn't right. have that. And so that's why when, I, when I'm reading this and, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, yeah, let's, it's all about international magical cooperation. You would believe it more if, it, you know, aside from Bill and Fleur and, and, and Victor Crumb showing up at the wedding, there was no tie-in to that later on. On the way back up to the dormitory, Cedric Diggory stops Harry on the steps and suggests that Harry take a bath with his egg. Harry questions Cedric's motives to himself as he enters the Gryffindor dormitory. And when he does enter the Gryffindor dormitory, Harry finds that Hermione and Ron are in a, quote, blazing row. Hermione suggests Ron pluck up the courage and ask her to the next dance before somebody else does, instead of waiting until the last minute. And it's said that Harry... Uh, Harry even um, stuck up for Hermione once before, but at this point, he does not enter the, engage the engagement and says that Harry uh, valued being on speaking terms with Ron far too much to speak his mind right now. That's kind of a an upsetting end. Next Next dance won't be till Bill and Fleur's wedding, though. So it was kind of... Hermione didn't really even have a dance in mind, I assume. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there wouldn't be a dance next year or anything. Not a yearly dance. Like I think it was just a figure of speech. So. Yeah. yeah so. Ask me the next time. Yeah, she's calling him a coward. And he is. I mean, we know that about Ron, though. Yeah. Do you, do you think that, um, you know, he questions Cedric's motives, though, because uh, how he feels about Cho Chang, because really, yes. if, if you remember, Harry, you know, gave a clue to Cedric, so it's only fair that Cedric would give a clue to Harry. Well, that's Absolutely. why Cedric, that's why Cedric comes up to him. He says, you help me with the dragons, so I should help with the egg. Yeah. But on the way up to the dormitory, Harry's like, well, I wonder if he's just trying to make me look like a fool so that I look like a fool in front of Cho. It really is about girls, though, because Harry has... And Harry's been watching Cedric and Cho dance, I guess, at the Yule Ball, and it's said that he wants to kick something. So he's really starting to question, I guess, himself and, and girls. He's thinking about girls far more often now uh, as as the first time. But, uh, but, of course, Cedric Diggory's intentions are pure. So that's chapter 23, and that is chapter by chapter for this week. 
Now, on to today's Twitter question. Earlier in the show, we were talking about the decision to change the location of Snape's death scene. I think that's important for people to keep in mind. You know, Snape's still dying. He's still dying the same way. It's just the locale. It's the backdrop. And if we're getting a better backdrop, hey, you know, it's not not so bad. Anyway, here's what some other people um, thought. We asked the people who follow us on Twitter. If you'd like to follow us, just go to twitter.com slash mugglecast and sign up or log in and press follow. So here's a couple of the comments we received. Alex Mort said, as long as they don't destroy the story, I think it'll be fine. Would have liked to see it just like the book, though. Oh, well. A Weasley girl wrote, the change wasn't needed. The shack tied in the last generation and Snape's near death 30 years earlier by Lupin to this one. Funny, I never ma- I never point. made that connection before. <laughs> Wait, what was that? Maybe Joe forgot that, too. It's true. Well, Snape nearly died, remember, when he nearly saw the werewolf or whatever, Remus Lupin, as a kid, and now he actually does die in the shack. It's almost like the shack has it out for Severus Snape, and that that... and well, that, that's but that, what that's I important. said back when we were discussing it earlier. Yeah, I, I heard you say it then, too, but be, I'm saying prior to this episode, I hadn't made oh, that connection. Oh, okay. Yeah. I actually didn't hear that earlier this episode. Yeah, well, you don't pay attention, so... <laughs> Robin M7 says, as long as Alan Rickman does a good and truthful death for Snape, I don't really mind the changes. It's the acting that matters. Stand Andrea says, people need to stop judging the change so harshly. Yes, it was a huge scene, but look how nicely they changed Hedwig's, but look how nicely they changed Hedwig's death. That's a good point. People were a little, I mean, uh, to be fair though, some people still were bothered by it, but hey, it was kind of cute. You know, Hedwig was trying to save Harry. And she died saving Harry in the movie. Amber's Woolley says, I'm not too happy with the change. The death was plenty dramatic in the book. I had been excited to see how it looked on screen. Passionate for Penn said, I don't like the idea. The Shrieking Shack is a pretty important location in the series, and I don't see how it'll work out. And finally, Conroy Hines says, I think it will be good. If JKR likes it, that's good enough for me. I think it will be like how Hedwig's death was also better. Well, it seems to be well, pretty evenly split, right? Pretty yeah. mixed. Yeah, I would say it's very mixed. Uh, so if you want to get in on these uh, Twitter question and answer sessions, just follow us Follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash You know, Mongocast. Andrew, one thing, uh, one comment somebody made, and, and I don't know if, if this is what you were referring to before when you said that there was more to it, but uh, when this was posted, somebody commented that it would be cool almost if the memories from Snape kind of leaked out into the lake, and that's where you got the the story of of everything that has been going on with Snape for for the entire series. That would be cool. You know, it'd be funny because the three brothers scene starts with a feather landing in a pond. <laughs> oh yeah, you got to play kind of play off that. Yeah, no, that's that's a cool idea. It would be better than I, again. What happened in the book? Harry had to go all the way up to Dumbledore's office, right? In the middle of everything, <laughs> he went up to Dumbledore's office. Dumb- Voldemort's like, "Harry Potter, you have an hour, or you will die." And and he just takes the time. He goes up to Dumbledore's office, puts all the memories in the pensive, relives a whole life, Snape's whole life, all the important moments, relives all of that while there's a battle going on. Yeah, you know, it, I think that is a good possibility, though, because I doubt that they're in the movie going to make him go back up to Dumbledore's office to to look at these memories to sit in the in the it's it, but so it's one of those things. I guess it works in the books, but in the movie, it, it, I can see where they would 
want to change it. I feel like I'm too in favor of change in these in this seventh book in the movie, but I really like, and I think you guys even really like part one, so I think you guys are just as optimistic as I am about this. Let's move on to Muggle Mail now. Micah, can you read the first email from Steven? First email comes from Steven, 21 of New York. I just said that. <laughs> no, you just said Steven. <laughs> Anyway, he says, hey, Mugglecasters, in the chapter-by-chapter segment of episode 218, you discuss why Mad-Eye Moody could see through the invisibility cloak, while Death, from Tale of the Three Brothers, could not. You say that the only logical explanation is that Death didn't have Moody's magical eye. Being a big fan of the Deathly Hallows subplot, I thought I'd just point out that the story of the three brothers actually meeting Death isn't necessarily true. In chapter 35 of Deathly Hallows, page 714 of the U.S. edition, Dumbledore explains to Harry that the story of the Peveril brothers meeting Death was probably just a myth. He says whether they met Death on a lonely road, I think it more likely that the Peveril brothers were simply gifted, dangerous wizards who succeeded in creating those powerful objects. The story of them being Death's own Hallows seems to me the sort of legend that might have sprung up around such creations. So while I agree it's perfectly logical that Moody's magical eye could see through the invisibility cloak, I just thought it should be noted that the cloak never really belonged to, quote, death. Keep up the great work. I love the podcast and have enjoyed growing up with you guys for the past five years. Aww. Growing up. That's kind of nice because I'm also 21. We've grown up together. Our voices have deepened together. Well, I don't know about his voice, but I know mine has. Yes, very Well, that's a good so. point, and I'm glad he brought that up, because I reinforced the point when I checked the lexicon last episode uh, about his magical eye being able to see through the invisibility cloak, but Stephen brings up a good point as well. Next email comes from Lauren Z, 19 of Allentown, Pennsylvania. Hey guys, I just have a comment about episode 218 of MuggleCast. You talked about Aberforth's role in the movie being a, quote, blink and you'll miss it role as described by the actor. And you all expressed concern about how much Aberforth we would get to see. When I read that comment, I read it differently and thought he meant it's the type of role that comes once, and if you blink, you'll miss the opportunity to play such a role, rather than talking about the actual screen time of the role. I could be entirely off, but it was what I had thought when I read it and thought I would share this alternate interpretation. Thanks. Love the show. And by the way, where's Laura? We haven't seen or heard from her in a while. Thanks. I completely disagree with Lauren. I I do not. Hang on. Think this actually makes a lot what, of sense. I read this and I was like, "Oh my god, that's what he meant." No, Isn't it? I disagree. Well, how, why no. not? Because I don't know. He because he goes on to explain and talks about how it's pages and pages of dialogue exposition. So blink and you'll miss it. That makes perfect sense. That that you know, if he were to blink and he'd miss the opportunity to play this role, that. I didn't even think of that. I, it's valid, but I still think it's very quick. Knowing how the filmmakers shorten down everything, you know, and make changes, I think. The, but he you means mean you short. don't think that it is four pages of dialogue in the movie? Uh, four pages compressed into two sentences. But no, because it can't. It can't just be two <laughs> sentences because it's complicated. It's all about Dumbledore and tying that subplot from the first film back into part two. Eric, some people are quite talented at taking long <laughs> statements and shortening them down. I know you're not, but some people are. I'll take the next one. Um, 
And, well, in response to the second part of her email about Laura, we should mention Laura is taking a extended break from the show um, because she is now about to live in Costa Rica for um, a long time. I don't know exactly how long, but she got a job down there. We're very proud of her. She's going to be teaching children in Costa Rica, teaching Spanish or (laughs) teaching English. They know Spanish. Uh, She'll be teaching English. Um, So we're very excited for her. But unfortunately, this means she's not going to be on the show any longer. I'm sorry to say. But maybe we'll try to find another girl. It's hard to find another girl to match um, Laura or any of the other, you know, great hosts we've had. So we're working on it. Anyway, Eric, can you take the next email yeah, from next, Sarah? next email comes from Sarah Schwartz of Georgia. She says, hey, everyone, just started listening to your show. Literally, episode 218 was the first one I heard, which was last week's. And I heard you guys... Welcome! Yeah, welcome. I, I heard you guys talking about things that we were upset about because they had to be cut from the movies. Because that was my first time listening, I was unable to talk to you guys in time for the show. But I was wondering if I could still share this with you. Of course you can. What I was a little upset about from Order of the Phoenix was that there was not any mention of Hermione's coins that were given out to all the members of Dumbledore's army that told them where to attend meetings. Now I'm sure, now I'm not sure how everyone will meet back in the room of requirement for Deathly Hallows Part 2. Keep up the great work, guys, and I can't wait to hear your future podcasts. I will most definitely be going back to listen to your older ones. You just got a new fan. Thanks for listening, and sorry it was late. Sarah. Uh, I'm sure the uh, they'll find a way around that. I mean, I'm sure there's another way that they can go about making sure that everybody congregates in the room of requirement without using those coins, even though it was cool that they they did that in the books. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Quite a, quite a bit more people show up, too. That's what I liked about it was that these old old students, you know, Oliver Wood and then all of them just, just show up and... Did they cast him for uh, oh, Deathly Hallows Part 2? Bigger staff. I don't think so. Uh, Getting in the nitty-gritty like here. I don't using... think so. Uh, don't Micah, know. next email. Next email is from Alyssa. 15 of New York. I get all the New York emails. Hey, guys. I'm listening to your latest podcast, and you talked a lot about the Triwizard Tournament. Never really understood a part of the tournament, so I thought that I should ask you. Not a good idea. Uh, for each task, the teachers drag all the students from their classes to go watch the tournament. I never really understood how this could be any entertainment at all, except for getting to miss class, as you could only see what was happening during one of the tasks. For the Lake and Maze tournaments, the students would have to talk amongst themselves for a couple of hours until the champions emerged. Unless you could see what was going on in the old Triwizard tournaments, I don't even understand how the tournament could have gotten started in the first place. Any thoughts? Thanks for everything. Alyssa. Well, I guess they're kind of on the edge of their seats because they're, I mean, you know, it's, there's a chance they could die in the Eternal water or glory. in the maze. So I think, you know, just the fact that they are sort of hanging on. And, and don't forget, you know, the band is sort of playing, so maybe that's some entertainment. I wondered that, too. Maybe Filch. Hmm? I agree. I agree with what she says, though. I, I mean, I'm assuming not the, the tasks, obviously, are not the same. Every time, but but mm, as true. a spectator sport or a, it's boring. Yeah, yeah it's got to be boring unless you're at the dragon challenge. See, no, but again, I disagree because you want to be there when the first person emerges. Well, um, yeah, but well, you can't see what's going because, on though, be- for yeah, for an hour because your school is is in is in it. You have some kind of 
you're compelled to, to, to go out and show your support for your school, much like a Quidditch game, but at least in a Quidditch game, you can see every move. You know, the, the, the lake at Hogwarts is described as the black lake. You can't see but five feet in front of you. So even if they were able to somehow show or project that, like an image of what's going on, it, it would like the H, they have HD TVs on either side. Same with the maze, you know, but, but even the maze, like obviously, unexpectedly, it was a port key. So, I feel like if, if, you know, when Harry and Cedric disappeared, why wasn't there more chaos almost? I know in the movie, there's not chaos until they get back. There's that celebration. But the fact that the, the port key wasn't, or the, the, the cup wasn't supposed to be a port key, um, shouldn't people have had plenty of time to start freaking out about that? And I just uncovered a plot hole, I think. But, but basically, I really agree with this, mm. this email. And uh, the final email today from Kaya Angel, Angeli, 15, Montville, Australia. Hi, guys. Love the show. All of you guys are great. I've been away for a while and had to catch up on the episodes, and I missed the weird places thing, but I really wanted to tell you guys the weird place that I listen to you guys. I, working, I work in a shop that sells Himalayan salt and big rock crystals and some beeswax ear candles. I listen to MuggleCast when the other worker is out to lunch and I want something to entertain me while I cut big strips of cloth for ear candles and clean and pack salt lamps and pack salt. I don't want to sound repetitive, but you guys are great and I really enjoy the podcast so to stop me from feeling so alone when I work. XOXOXO, Kaya. There's another interesting way. Uh, and yes, podcast absolutely great thing to listen to while you're working because you don't really need your ears, you know, if you're for, for not for all working tasks anyway, you know, if you're just doing computer work or number work. So all great reasons. Himalayan salt and big rock crystals and beeswax ear candles. That's got to be a cool job. <laughs> that may be the weirdest place I, that we've had so far. I, fig- I feel like it wins an award of some sort. I need somebody who listens in a cave. If you listen in a cave, email in. That's Osama, weird. get on it. <laughs> Twitter.com you, slash MuggleCast. We know you're on the Twitter. Hey, before Man. we wrap up the show, I want to remind everybody about this new podcast that Ben Shane and I are doing called Hype. Hypepodcast.com. You can go learn about the show. You can download the two episodes we've released so far with the third one. Actually, the third one should come should be out by now by the time you listen to this. And... uh do take a listen, give it a try. We've been getting a lot of great feedback about it, and we're going to continue to improve the show. And it was also just featured by iTunes as a new and notable podcast, which we were very happy to see. Uh, so we thank everyone who's listened, and uh, be sure to check it out. Hypepodcast.com, or just search for Hype Podcast on uh, the iTunes store. So after you visit Hypepodcast.com, hop on over to MuggleCast.com. This podcast that you're listening to, we have a great website for it. You can click on contact at the top and fill out our feedback form if you have some feedback about anything we discussed on today's show. And on the right side of the page, you're going to find a few links that are very important. We have the iTunes page where you can subscribe and also review us. A quick reminder, when you click the iTunes link, you have to click view in iTunes and then hit subscribe. By doing that, you will get the latest episodes uh, whenever you go into the podcast section of your iTunes and press refresh. Sometimes when we release a new episode, people say, oh, it's not on iTunes yet. It's not on iTunes yet. It is, but you have to press subscribe free. And then it will uh, show you the podcast section of your iTunes, and then it will download 
the most recent episodes every time we have a new show out. All you have to do is press refresh after you subscribe. How many episodes are currently on the feed uh, still? We keep about 10 at a time on the feed. Okay, so so Sarah, our, our new listener, who just listened to us last week the first time, can get the last 10 episodes on the, on iTunes. But also, uh, on the MogoCast website, which we're talking about, there's a wall of uh, fame, which are sort of our top kind of listener-rated, and, and ones that we feel are the, sort of the greatest <laughs> episodes. But all episodes are available for download and for read transcripts uh, of each episode on MogoCast.com. And as Eric mentioned uh, with the transcripts, I think right now we have up till episode 209, and uh, we're obviously releasing 219, so we're a little bit behind. I plan on actually getting up, uh, I think, till episode 215 sometime this weekend, so we will be caught up. Uh, we What we try and do is get a transcript out, usually a, a week to 10 days after a show is released. So feel free to head on over to the site. And, uh, you know, again, I know we, we do this from time to time, but I think it's necessary that we do thank everybody who does work on the transcripts because it is not uh, a very easy job, um, you know, to, to do. It, it's kind of a thankless job, and uh, these people work extremely hard um, to put these transcripts together. So, you know, thank you to Cam, who leads up the team over there, and all the, uh, I don't know even know how many people he has working for him right now, but uh, there's a lot. Thank you, everyone, again for listening. I am Andrew Sims. I am Eric Skull. I'm Ben Shane. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, and I'm Mike Tenno. We'll see you next time for episode 220. Bye-bye. Bye. Where's Where's Ben? new and new and notable how does that how does a podcast get that way i mean well you see i am a podcasting legend (laughs) so when i release a new podcast itunes takes you're a person of interest yes is is that it it's based on ego i'm a legend i'm a podcast purely on ego (laughs) but really but But it means that somebody from itunes somewhere listened to your show and Right. Forwarded it up. No, it's it's a very nice it's a very nice honor. We thank well, them a lot. Well, won't for they it. track like downloads too? Like you know what? They... I the downloads, quite frankly, have not been like extraordinary. So oh. I think we may have a fan at iTunes or something. I don't yeah. know. I don't know what Mikey the process B. is. Does he work for Apple? Yeah, <laughs> right. I listen to you at Apple, <laughs> where they construct iPhones around me. Yes, that'd be a cool job. <laughs>